The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network presents Setting the Record Straight, where various Christian Reconstructionist pastors seek to understand and dissect the issues that are plaguing the church today, from the pulpit to the pew. All right, this morning, uh, I want to continue on uh, with the discussion we've had um, on Christian Reformation and Reconstruction. And really, the basis of where we've been has come from, I was sharing with uh, Samuel Logo, I said, uh, well, we started off with talking about Martin Luther and his uh, his main objections to the Catholic Church and what they were doing. And in reality, if we tie it in, even back then, uh, one of the things I would say to make an objection even bring it forward to today is in many churches we might, many in, event in Christian America, American Christianity or evangelicalism, we don't, we don't sell indulgences for sins, but we, we do create a way where people can feel comfortable with their sin and that we have a God who just forgives everything they do. We don't make them pay a tithe for it, but they might pay a tithe for a church that would tell them to do so. So instead of paying a, an amount to keep them out of the pit of hell or purgatory or whatever for um, this sin, this prepaid sin, I guess you could say, um, we do it a different way. Yeah. It, by the way, that don't bother me at all. Okay. Uh, and so when we look at today, I, we've, we've walked through the Apostles' Creed the basics of that. We walked through part of, um, a few weeks ago, we talked about the beginning of the Nicene Creed and some of the objections that were raised and the reason why the Nicene Creed came about. And I, and I even spoke a little on the Athanasian Creed. I don't plan on going there because it's so sinking long. It just is. And for us to break that down would be, take some time. But what we're going to look at today is, is the Nicene Creed. And, and I'm going to read it to you, and, walk, and then I'm going to come through and, and just kind of look at this one aspect of it. So, the Nicene Creed says, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made. By the way, when we talked about when we talked about this a couple weeks ago, what we talked about, we talked about what begotten meant. That Jesus was not created. Yeah. That it was important to know that Jesus was not a created being. That that's where we find the false doctrines that come from, uh, whether it be uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormonism. That we, you know, the idea that we can become gods or anything like that. Jesus was not created by by the Father. He was begotten of the Father, means he proceeds from Him, but that and, and he is of one substance with Him. We talked about who for us men in our salvation. This is where we'll be uh, not too far from here this morning. And for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. And this is where we'll be today. And was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he arose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven. And he sits on the right hand of the Father. And he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead whose kingdom 
shall have no end. Talks about, goes on and says, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. So we're going to look at a specific area of the Nicene Creed, and that's we're going to talk about the crucifixion under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again. Now, this is a very base teaching, um, but there are some things that we've skipped over in the, in the recent past, and I think that's one of the things that having a foundation um, on this. So we're going to look at this. The, the first thing I want to look at is in, there's just three main little points. And... Uh, and I don't know what y'all are used to, but I'm, I'm, I still have enough Baptist in me to preach by points, but I don't have just three points usually. I could have 20 points in some So, our message. The first thing is, this aspect of, when we look at, he was crucified also under Pontius Pilate. This reveals the superiority of Christ. We were talking about the superiority of Christ's work today. This reveals the superiority of Christ's work. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4. He wrote, Long ago and in many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, to whom also He created the world. He's a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as superior, as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Now, I did not use this scripture just because the word superior is in there. We need to start with a foundation of why Jesus' Jesus's work is superior to the, any other thing. Why is it superior? Because uh, it is something that we couldn't do. And when we get to the second point will understand the aspect of what he's done as we talk about what a propitiation is. In Hebrews, he goes on in chapter 10, and I, I, sh- I shared this with you a couple weeks ago. One of my favorite pa- favorite books of the Bible is the book of Hebrews. Um, and we've walked through it about three years ago or so. We, we've kind of walked through the book of Hebrews. And uh, when we look at back on this, and, and, but Hebrews 10 goes on, and he talks about that the law was a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these reality. Uh, it says, realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered each year, make perfect those who draw near. It says, otherwise they would, be, would not have ceased to be offered. They would have ceased to be offered since worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have a con- any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices... There is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Look at Hebrews 10. If you look at the whole of it, what it comes down to, and it tells us, it's talking about how it's, we, we say that the superiority of Christ and the work of Christ because of this. Um, prior, prior to Christ's sacrifice, what, what did they do? What did they do, kids? Did they just, what did they do? Prior to Christ coming and dying on the cross, what did the, what did the Jewish people do? What did God give for them to do? They sacrificed animals. 
on behalf, right? In fact, once a year they would have a specific sacrifice for all the people. And so when we look at this, but did they have to do it, did they just do it once and then they're good? No, absolutely not. They had to do it, what, year after year. And one of the aspects of this we need to look at is they that type of sacrifice, which was ordained by God, never could fully atone for the sin of all mankind. It was a shadow, is what the scripture says. It was a shadow of the good things to come. It was a shadow, meaning it was something that that was that came prior to the God's intention or fulfillment of those things. When we look at this, we, we recognize that no, that sacrifice could not take away the sin of the world. It atoned. It atoned at the moment. When they would come to offer sacrifices, they would come and they would bring a sacrifice for their sins, specific to their sins. Some things weren't as big of a deal, but what's it say? Big of a deal. And so, but when people would come to bring their animals to sacrifice for their sin, what would they do? They'd end up almost by basically parading these animals in front of everyone. You would recognize the sin of most people by what they did, uh, by what they brought. And so, when we look at this, we but every year, every year, every year, they had to keep continue on, continue on. And this is when we look at the superiority of Christ's work. We go on, it says, and I'm going to read this, verse 11 of chapter 10. He goes, uh, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which never can take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by offering a single offering, he's perfected, all for all time, those who are being sanctified. So when Christ comes and he is he is uh, he is crucified, buried, dead, rose again, in doing so, he becomes a sacrifice for us. We'll look at that in this next part. Christ's superior superiority there in his work is because is because his sacrifice is final. Do we have to do we have to go sacrifice animals? Go to a special place at least once a year? No, we don't have to. It's still he's able, he was more than able, he was a superior sacrifice. If you look at all of Hebrews, he's a superior high priest, he's a superior, he's superior to Moses, he's superior to 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 the, the high priest, he was superior to uh, he's a better tab, he's a better temple, he's all these things when we look at it, when we come down. But when we ask the aspect, he's superior. Not only that, this also reveals the second little part. He reveals the sufficiency, the sufficiency of Christ's work. When we look at this aspect, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, resurrection reveals the sufficiency of his work. I should have spelled that right. Most times I do. There's something most people don't know about Microsoft Word. When you capitalize something, it does not work. It does not spell check it. See? <laughs> but that. But this reveals the sufficiency of Christ's work. Now, when we talk about this, in, in all the scriptures that I've referenced here for this passage, is a very it's a very simple thing. It's a word that's gonna come up. And it's a big word, 
but it shouldn't be that big of a deal to understand. It's the word propitiation. And I gave y'all the definition of, uh, of the word propitiation. Um, in, in the Greek, it's the word hilasterion. Uh, 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 so when we look at this, it's talking about relating to and appeasing or expiating. And expiate means to atone for. It, it, it appeals to the, it's an appeasing or expiating um, or atonement. Having placating or expiating or atoning force. If it's a means of appeasing or atoning, it's a propitiation. He goes on, he says, used of, the same word is used of the cover of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, which was sprinkled with the blood of the uh, expiatory victim on the annual day of atonement. This rite signifying that the life of the people, the loss on which they had merited by their sins, was offered to God in the blood as the life of a victim, and that God by this ceremony was appeased and their sins were atoned. Now, it was a temporary atonement when we had the blood sacrifice of uh, sacrificial animals. Hence, the lid of expia uh, expiation, the propitiatory, and it was an, uh, an atoning sacrifice. So I want us to look at, when you look at what propitiation is, it's a covering. It's a co blood covering for the sin. And when we look at what Christ came as, and what the scriptures talk about, Christ came as a not a temporary covering for sin. He came as a permanent covering for sin. For all those he all those he died for, he came as an atoning sacrifice, once and for all. Romans 3, verses 21 through 31 tells us, Now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and justi are, are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time, so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Christ comes as a propitiation, a covering, for whose sin? For all of those who are in Christ Jesus. He, did, he didn't partially cover for those who are, who are in Christ, he is what? He came as a propitiation he had, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the only way we are justified, as it says, is what? We're justified by grace, by His grace, as a gift. And when we talk about gifts, what's important to know is uh, Ezra had a birthday party yesterday. And, uh, Lily will have a birthday this week. And what we do is, we what do we do? We we often will give a gift to someone. Uh, I always tell, and this is a time of where most people will celebrate Advent or Christmas coming into. People will give gifts, and when people give gifts, I always say this. All right, we all like to receive a gift. Well, most of the time we like to receive gifts, unless you know some some of us do, but sometimes we don't. But most of us like gifts, right? Now, I always ask this question when we come across this. Do you deserve that gift? A gift is, is a gift something that you deserve? Absolutely not. 
Is it, is it your right to have that gift given to you? Does, do I have to give you a gift, Hannah, on your birthday? Do I have to? No, right? So you can't expect it of me, right? No. All right. You can't demand it of me. No. no. So when we talk about that, that God, that salvation is by, is by grace, the grace of God is a gift, is something that God has given and God has intentionally given. I don't just go and give everybody in my neighborhood gifts for their birthday. I don't even know when all their birthdays are. But God is God intentionally gives the gift. And it talks about here, we are justified by His grace as a gift. When we get to the following, the last section here, we'll understand why that's so important to understand that God gives it as a gift. Through the redemption, that means He's the propitiation is a covering. He redeems us because we have a debt. And He redemption is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as the propitiation by His blood. So we receive it as a gift and by the propitiation. Hebrews 2 talks about that Jesus has come in the flesh because we as His brothers, Hebrews 2 verse 14 through 18 says, The children share in the flesh and blood. He Himself likewise partook of the same things that through death He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who are through fear of death, were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation atonement for the sins of the people. He had to become like us in order to do so. What, what's so important about Jesus coming in the flesh? What was the difference between Jesus and us? Um, we are, the, the former scripture in Romans tells us we've all sinned, we all fall short of the glory of God. What about Jesus? Was, what was, how was Jesus different than us in that? How is Jesus different? If we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, what about Jesus? Did he sin and fall short of the glory of God? No, did he sin in any way? No. So why? So he comes in the flesh, and therefore he can be a sacrifice for our sin, right? Because he has not sinned. He's the perfect sacrifice, without blemish in any way. We look at this aspect, and we look at how, how he has come. So he's made like his brothers in every respect that he might become a merciful and faithful service a faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And what we find is that he is a he is a uh, he he completely understands he's tempted in every way, but he did not sin. First John goes on, and these are familiar passages, but first John two tells us that if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation. He is the atonement for our sins. When, when our kids sin, one of the first things, when our kids disobey us or they sin or they do something wrong, um, as they, especially as they get older, I, I always believe that he, I always look at Ephesians 6, when it tells children to honor your father and mother, uh, this is the first commandment with a promise, it always tells us this. It goes on and says, "Fathers, don't, don't, uh, 
don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them to discipline and instruction of the Lord. We talk about the there's a there's a formative aspect of discipline and a corrective aspect of discipline. And when we when we look at this this passage, what it reminds me of is when 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 you as children sin or when we as adults sin, any of us sin. What it reminds me of is that if Jesus is our advocate, who do we go to regarding our sin? We always go to Christ. We always go back to Him as our advocate. He is our atonement for our sins. Where do we receive forgiveness for sins? It's at Christ, the feet of Jesus. It's it's where do we where do we go to in repentance? So always, and I'll use him as an, Eli as an example. I know he loves me. He uses me as an example. He'll tell me later. But one of the things that we used to do often is when even if he disobeyed me, he didn't sin against me. He sinned against Christ. He sinned against God. And and ultimately, it's real easy for us to say, "I forgive you." But children, our children, and one of us, we don't need one another's forgiveness. We need the Father's forgiveness. And that's an aspect of formative discipline: is what does the Scripture say about this, and have we taught them this? That's a formative aspect. And when they transgress not our law, but they transgress the law of God, that's what sin is then what happens? They need to go to the Father. They need to go to Christ Himself, our advocate, our propitiation, our atonement. We go to Him in repentance. It's real easy to say, I forgive you and I can move on or when someone says, I'm sorry, but ultimately they have not transgressed me. They've transgressed the Father. And that's what we want them to learn. So when we look at this aspect of who Jesus is, he this this past when we talk about this part of the creed, it reveals the sufficiency of Christ, and that He is our propitiation in all things. It goes on, and, and you can look at it. We even learn what love is, true love, in in First John four, and it says, uh, "Let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves God has been born of Him and knows God, born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love." does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest amongst, among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I, I want to stop there. I want us to think about it. not just because here's a bunch of scriptures with the word propitiation in it, we don't understand the value of our, we don't understand what love is apart from Christ, apart from God, and we 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 look at the depths of these things and we don't recognize until we come to this place of understanding what Christ did uh, on the cross, what Christ did going to the grave, and in what God did in, in Christ Jesus by raising him from the dead. We don't understand the love until we truly see it. I watch, and I talk every once in a while about social media. I watched this this man who was a former Mormon who gave this testimony of how he went to. He became very. He went on his mission, and he became. He decided he, he he loved going and sharing the Mormon faith and Mormon gospel. And he goes. He said, you know, I got really prideful and cocky, so I decided I'd go to this Baptist minister and his church and try to convert them all. And in the process, this man, this pastor, took time out speak with him. And as he went through certain things, what he learned very quickly 
that he had never understood what it meant that uh, what it meant uh, the love of God. He always have had, he always known that salvation. He always believed that salvation was by the work that he did. And when he came to the place of understanding that it was not the great, the, it was not his work that made him favorable in the sight of God. But he recognized who he was apart from apart from God in Christ Jesus. When he understood the same, and he saw the depths of the love of God. In that moment, that moment, he he truly recognized that there was nothing in himself that was worthy, and it was all in the sufficiency of Christ. And that man, uh, more to it than that, but uh, he yielded himself as Christ broke him, and as Christ brought him and, uh, and called him to himself. But also, lastly, it's just a simple thing. This, this passage of Scripture reveals our dependency on Christ's work. When we think about this creed and talking about these things, if Christ is superior and Christ is sufficient in His work, then we also need to recognize our dependency upon Him, on His work. When I think about the, our dependency upon Christ's work and what God did in Christ Jesus through His death, His burial, and His resurrection, Think about Ephesians chapter 2. And it talks about that you were dead in the trespasses, in your dead and your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast in fact it goes on and says for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them when we look at the superiority of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ and the work that He's done, we recognize our dependency upon Him. We recognize whether it be for salvation or for everyday living, we are we are dependent. I even um, I saw I saw an interview, a short snippet of an interview between John MacArthur and uh, man, I just forgot his name. Who's the Who's the Jewish guy that? Oh, uh, he's always doing all the debates and speaking. Um, no, that's not Sai. Yeah. No, he's not. Um, ben, what is his name? Ben Stein? No, I don't, I don't. Shapiro. Shapiro. Shapiro, that's who it was. 
Shapiro sat down with John MacArthur and actually had this conversation. He asked, is it necessary for God's Word to, when you debate or these things, do we have to quote God's Word? And I am not always a very big advocate of John MacArthur, but one thing I will say in this aspect, whether he applies it or not everywhere, he said, I don't know how you can talk about a moral or ethical issue without bringing God's Word into it, without bringing the law of God. He said, I, I, just, I would hope that he would listen to his own words in this, but he said, he said, I, there's nothing that comes out of my mouth that has any power to change people except the Word of God. And when you come to that place of understanding the superiority of Christ, the sufficiency of Christ, we get to this place and understand our dependency on that, that is a major part for us because all too often I want to argue for my intellect. I want to I want to I argue for my experience. I want to argue from my past. I want to argue from my education. I want to all argue for those places. And the reality is, is there is nothing that we have apart from this gift. And and we have to see ourselves still. Yes, I am. Yes, I am saved. Yes, I am a child of God. Yes, I am an heir, a co-heir with Christ. I, all those things that I've been told all my life. Yes. But the reality is, apart from the grace of God through faith, we all start at the same place. We're all in the same place. And so in that moment, I am completely dependent, understanding we are completely dependent on the work of Christ. And so it's not our... This is not our world. This is not our society. This is not our country. This is not our family. This is His. In complete dependency. And it might not seem like a big deal to talk about these, this aspect, but the reality is, is the power that any power that we do have, any anything that we have to stand on is based upon the foundation of Christ and Himself. That's it. We're completely dependent. When we leave our dependency of Christ and the work that He's done, we give up everything. We give up everything. The one thing I can I can share with you the discussions I've had with both Christian and non-Christian they honor men and women who stand upon what they believe they stand upon the Word of God they might not believe it's the Word of God but they when you don't stand upon it when you don't stand dependent upon it they don't view you very highly thank you for listening to setting the record straight join us on Facebook at the Reconstructionist Radio Discussion Group. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to listen to all of our podcasts and to download our free audiobooks.